listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? You know, I'm doing well, Jeff. Uh, it's hard to complain, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, you, you could. You could. It's it, These are interesting times, of course, in, in which we are recording this episode. This is true, but um, uh, it's not going to do us much good to complain about it. No, that, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for uh, those listening, uh, when we actually end up publishing this episode, we're just at the very beginning of the uh, self-isolation side of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, everybody's working from home, us, our guests, uh, everybody. Yes, it's, um, I believe, uh, last night, uh, I arrived at officially here in my household, the, the Jive Bunny in the Master Mixer stage of quarantine. That's, uh, that's where we were at. Um, so, um, you know, it's anybody's guess how the next week will go. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, last night was the uh, Dropkick Murphys were doing a live stream St. Patty's Day show instead of uh, a live show in Boston. So that was what we were doing during the evening. <laughs> it's certainly been an interesting time. Um, so joining us today on the show is Andy Vocare. Andy is the Director of Digital Strategy at Rivago. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Andy. Well, thank you very much. Uh, day three of quarantine here for, I think, all of the United States. Uh, it's definitely interesting times. It's uh, good to be chatting with you, Andy. It's uh, and uh, I can't help but think when uh, Jeff, when you just said Ravago, it, it, I, I got this whole like kind of vision of the Travago man in my mind. Like there was, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just the way you pronounce it or something. So hopefully that's the last time that happens in this episode. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Andy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role there at Rivago and uh, what you're doing and what the company does? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know the Travago reference, but uh, Rivago is actually from Rolf van Gorp. That was our founder back in the 60s uh, out of Belgium. Uh, great guy who actually started a business around plastic recycling. Um, and from there grew into plastic distribution and chemicals distribution. Uh, and now it's a global company um, centered around uh, plastic and chemical distribution. Uh, really, really interesting, very entrepreneurial company. Um, I've been here for 10 years. Before that, I was uh, Dow Chemical. Um, and I've uh, been involved in sales and marketing for many years. Um, and over the past couple of years, transitioned a little bit more into, well, I should say a lot more into business systems and IT and technology uh, got involved with all of our global ERP systems and building roadmaps to onboard a lot of the companies that we'd acquired. So I'm a bit of a hybrid person. Uh, I'm very passionate about the commercial side of our business, sales, business development, marketing work, advertising, all those you know core components of what we do as a distribution company. Um, but then I've got a really good understanding of how our systems actually work, how our processes work. Um, how our shared services are set up and what they're designed to do. Um, and so as we mature as a company, um, we've been really looking heavily in the mirror and deciding, you know, how are we going to streamline a lot of these backend operations and what are we going to do differently and made a lot of really good decisions as far as how to grow up and, and still say, stay very uh, automated. Um, and now we're kind of looking into a new chapter of building e-commerce tools and um, going really heavily into the digital side, which is which is geared to getting after the tail of our market, you know, getting out to smaller customers and multiplying our sales effort. Um, 
So I've, uh, I've, I've got a sort of a new title and, and a newer role in the company, although it's, I, I joke around that it's something I've been working on for all the 10 years that I've been here. It's just now a little bit more of an official title. So Very, very cool. And, and I think, you know, it's always really interesting to look at a, you know, a more traditional company, you know, with a, a classic distribution model or, or you know, the, the where you, you've been used to doing things a certain way and then now looking into how are we going to kind of bring this into the, into the digital age and, uh, you know, what are the tools and, and processes that we need to put in place in order to do that and do it well. Um, how, how are you making that transition and uh, what, what do you think the first steps are there? Well, it, I've always felt like this industry or the, these these industries, whether you're talking about fuel and gas, uh, energy services, um, raw materials, chemicals, commodities, um, I've always felt like there's a lot of opportunity in these spaces because there's a lot of technology and, and automation and um, strategy that's been developed for B2C, retail businesses, um, software sales, you know, all these things that are out there that we don't really have to reinvent the wheel. We can we can apply a lot of this. Um, just a basic concept of advertising, um, not even getting into digital, but even really print advertising or how you how you build a strategy around advertising. There's a lot of people in our industry that kind of think, oh well, that's just a spend. You know that doesn't really work. Um, but the reality is, advertising has been around for decades and decades, and and it persists because it does work. Um, we've been able to take the digital advertising side of that and show that for not a lot of cost, you can actually generate quite a lot of return, um, whether that's just people coming into your website um, or it's actually uh, building leads or to where we're trying to build to actually closing out sales uh, you know, through an e-commerce channel. You, you have the ability with these tools today to reach out directly to a specific consumer build a message with them, build a rapport with them, and actually draw them in. Um, and again, these tools are not new. They're, they've been out there for many years. Um, a lot of other industries are using them. So I've always felt like there's just a ton of opportunity in our industries to adapt to these tools and bring them in and create um, a more fun environment, a more in interactive and engaging environment. You know, I, I, I go to dinner parties and talk about, you know, I sell plastics and I guarantee that most people think, oh, you're the devil. <laughs> but the reality is we use these things all over the place and there's a lack of education. There's lack of understanding. Um, we do a tremendous amount of recycling. It's a big part of our business. Um, and, you know, when you can talk to people about how this whole industry works and what it does, uh, if, if, it, if I can build an environment where we can translate that into an online experience, um, I think we can even multiply that effort. So it's it's pretty exciting to me. Um, I'm a guy that gets excited about plastics and chemicals. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, I do have to agree with you that uh, the I sell plastics line is probably not the best uh, pickup line to use <laughs> at your next party. Uh, but I, I do think it's interesting uh, that basically what you're saying is that there's something, there's some magic at the intersection of what is possible uh, in today's digital world and how that intersects with what is a very traditional uh, relationship sales-based B2B sales approach. Um, and that's what you're, I guess, trying to really translate into this automated e-com environment that you're in the process of building now. Is That's my understanding, at least, Andy, is that you're saying, how do we how do we bring the best practice of what we know to be true from a relationship uh, sales perspective and translate that into this automated environment? Am I getting it? 
Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, so I'd say there's two things that are really specifically happening in, in our industry, but in, probably in all business industries um, that are important to look at here. One is that um, you just have uh, a lot of people retiring um, in their 60s, and maybe they're in purchasing roles or decision-making roles, and they're being replaced by people probably in their 40s because you've got that big generational gap. Um, and that 40-year-old that is looking to uh, have a different work-life balance. Um, you know, they're probably not going to go golfing as much or go to lunch with you or go to dinner or spend as much time. Um, they're looking for more engagement via email, via text message, WhatsApp, uh, through social media. Um, they they want to research. They want to know at the time that they pick up the phone and call you or you have any kind of electronic communication, they've probably made 65% of their decision already. You know, do, do we want these products? Do we like the pricing? Do we feel like we can get better technology or information from another source? Um, and if they feel like you're the fit, then they're going to go ahead and engage with you. So it's, it's a little bit less about uh, relationship building from the standpoint of, um, gee, I like spending time with you. And more from the standpoint of, um, I like what you're offering. I like the I like the information that I can get, and I like the speed of the information as it's delivered. Uh, and the other thing, the second thing that I think is happening is that the the line between I'm a consumer and I make purchasing decisions this way, and I'm a business and I make purchasing decisions this way. That line is getting very blurred. Um, we talk about, especially in small businesses, um, you know, we talk about it all the time. Where I'm a small business owner. Um, I've, I've started a company because it's something that I'm passionate about, right? I, I, um, I was making soap in my garage and I decided, Hey, I'm going to go to the flea market and start selling my soap products, um, where I was just giving them out before. And, um, I need to buy ingredients. I need to learn about better technology for making these things, better, better, um, pots and pans or, or equipment that I need. Where do I go? Well, I go to Google, I go to Bing, I go to, you know, whatever online resource, I, I go to YouTube, I ask around and, you know, get other resources electronically, and I research and I find this information, and then I want to buy things. And nowhere in that process have they talked to anybody. So that that barrier of, you know, I'm a consumer versus I'm a, I'm a business is just really dropping and dropping fast. And so with those two things happening, I think in our industry, we have to adapt to that and we have to provide um, those changes. It doesn't mean that the knowledge that we've built as humans, as outside sellers, as technical people, that, that knowledge is still hugely valuable. We've just got to translate it differently. We've got to put it out there more openly for people to find it. And that's, that's a lot of what we're focused on. How do you think that you do transition that kind of knowledge and that skill that, uh, you know, experienced quality salespeople have into something that is more of a, a slightly more hands-off and more kind of digital environment where, you know, your potential customer is receiving these messages via digital channels like email and marketing automation and potentially targeted advertising and things like that. Like how, how do we ensure that that kind of quality of uh, relationship is maintained while also understanding that maybe people don't want to be talked to in the same way that they've been talked to for decades? Well, that's a that's a fantastic question because um, I have tried to take our top sellers from our businesses and say, okay, you're no longer going to be sellers. You're just going to help us set up our digital strategies. And all of our business managers said, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> they need to be out there selling. So um, that would have been a tough sell, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, so it's, you know, it's a bit of, um, it's a bit of, uh, building the relationships internally and, and doing a lot of ride alongs with the sellers. And, um, I have the benefit of having been in a lot of sales situations. So I have an understanding of the cadence that we usually have with customers, how we go through that sales cycle, how people think a little bit on the client side, on the customer side. Um, but it's a lot of internal communication and, um, and learning internally as to what works and what doesn't work. Why does it work? Why does it not work? And then marrying that together with the data. So the data, I, I'm a data freak when it comes down to it. And, and a data is everything to me. So what you can do on the digital side that you can't do as easily on the human side is A-B test, right? So everything that we send out via email, uh, advertising, um, you know, how we set up uh, web pages to see the flow of traffic, um, everything can be tested and, me and measured. And I think what you can do is, is just really optimize around that. So you start with a strategy, you start with a hypothesis of, um, as I had mentioned, you know, kind of before we started this recording, nobody likes getting a ton of emails from the same company, right? So one of our strategies is, hey, let's not email everybody every single day, multiple times a day with the same message, right? Let's, let's think about a journey that we want to set up for our customer. Okay, I want to send an email today. And if they haven't responded to it or haven't opened the email, maybe three or four days later or a week later, I send them a slightly different email. Now, that can be one journey and running along in parallel, we have the, a, the, the B test to it, which is the same cadence of emails, but maybe with different messaging, different, uh, different technology bullet points, um, different links to other resources different images and we see okay which one is responded to more and all that testing really helps you drive um to i think uh the goal of obviously more leads and more opens but um building a message that has has a higher response rate um so it's it's a marriage of these things i mean it's going to have to be uh it will have to be um cyclical we'll have to have a feedback loop and we'll have to continuously uh, reach out to our outside sellers and ask them, what do you think of the strategy? You know, would you modify it in any way? If you were going to talk to a customer about a new product that you were launching, how would you do it? Um, how would you get that message into not only that one person that you're really closely associated with, but to the broader company? And then can we take that and model that in a digital sense? Um, so a lot of different things that go into it, but you've got to really be open to the ideas. You've got to be looking at the data. You've got to be creating the feedback loops and you've got to be willing to change um, you're going to make, uh, you're going to put a lot of messaging out there that just doesn't work. And you've got to be willing to adapt to that and switch gears pretty quickly. I find the, um, it's interesting to consider, I guess, this, uh, the notion of AB testing in that, uh, in, in that scenario that you just mentioned, um, um, especially for a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, uh, B2B, uh, manufacturing marketers, they look at a total addressable market and, and they may, you know, they may only have uh, 3,000, 4,000 possible customers that they could do business with. Um, so it's um, not always, or I guess, uh, I, I think sometimes in those situations, it's not always uh, easy to imagine how you get to, to, to a level of statistical significance in an A-B testing scenario around messaging when you're dealing with smaller uh, a small, smaller total addressable market. Um, is that something that you've kind of encountered as you've looked at applying kind of data-driven decision-making processes of that type of uh, uh, situation? Yeah, I, I, I think this is where um, the human element, I think, um, errs on the side of, how do I want to say this? Um, this? This is very akin to 
how you set up a CRM model with outside sales versus inside sales, and then expanding that to digital. And what I mean by that is if you're an outside seller, um, you, you think in terms of your bandwidth and you might say, well, I can only call on 100 customers. Um, but even within those customers, you're thinking about the contacts that you have. So at each customer, I might have two contacts. And so that's 200 individual people that me as an outside seller might feel comfortable building a relationship, building, building a dialogue and a rapport with. Um, inside sales might think the same way. Okay, well, I can email so many people or uh, contact so many people by phone. Maybe it's more than outside sales, but it's a number of contacts. And what happens on the digital side is that you can greatly expand that. So um, where we're limited is by this human-to-human -human interaction, this this one-to-one -one relationship that we have where I know this person, I've looked them in the eyes, I've talked to them, um, I've gotten to know their interests and their hobbies and their families and things like that. Um, but it's it you're, you're very limited in, in the number that you can have on that, on that contact one-to-one -one relationship. Um, when we start getting into digital advertising and um, getting into broader markets and segments, we can go beyond the number of contacts even with one company. So even if you say, okay, in my industry, there's only 3,000 potential customers. You're talking about accounts. You know, at each customer, you could have 50 contacts that you could reach out to. And so even on the digital advertising and the digital strategy side, you can be getting to uh, the research scientist who spends all of his time in the lab and never actually gets to talk to the supplier. And they might see an advertisement or see a technical paper, a white paper, or see a a, a technical demonstration via video and go, oh, wow, this company really has something that we're interested in. And they go contact the purchasing people or the people that interface with that supplier and say, hey, have you had this discussion with them? Can we get more information? And so you can really get your hooks into a company much, much further, much more thoroughly, I think, with these kind of strategies than what people realize, because that number of contacts can be greatly multiplied. I think that's really interesting. Um, because because, you know, it, even if your ideal customer profile, you know, limits you to a certain number of accounts, like you're saying, you know, there really are a number of different personas that you're going to have to address within each of those accounts to uh, progress a sale and to, uh, you know, finally reach the people who have the decision making power and all of that. Um, and, and that's certainly a, a huge component of, you know, account-based marketing is really understanding, you know, here are, the, here are the accounts that we have, but then we know that there are people in purchasing, there are engineers that need to have a play in this and, uh, you know, people in the C-suite and, and all of that. So th there's no question that you're going to have a very different um, group of people that you're going to need to market to, and you're probably going to need different messaging for each one of those people as well. Um, I, I agree with you, Jeff, and I, I just at the same time, I'm, uh, and I agree that the multiple contacts within an account does kind of give you uh, a bit more to play with. Um, uh, but I do think uh, at the same time, it's a very different kind of environment than, say, a pure uh, e-com kind of conversion rate optimization play where you're driving thousands of visits in a run of a couple of hours span and can can really drive A-B testing in a statistically significant way. I feel that, that uh, it still kind of um, uh, has a bit of art to it. I think there's still a little bit of kind of nuance or gut or instinct that has to be part of this as well, wouldn't you say, Andy? I mean, it's not uh, as much as I know you love data and uh, that's going to help inform us. It's just it, sometimes that's just helping to inform the gut, I think, a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, some of our most successful sellers are just people that are incredibly 
creative in, in how they go about their sales process. And they might say, I can't build a process for you because everybody that I approach, I approach differently, right? I, I read their body language, I read their comments, and I adapt to those. And so they think, well, you can't do that with technology. Well, the reality is you you can't do it the same way, um, but you can take pieces of that approach and you can start applying them. So uh, to that point of every, you know, if, if I approach the buyer at a customer, I have a different message than if I approach the research scientist or if I approach the C-suite or if I approach the, the administrative assistant. Um, you, you do have a different kind of communication and you can craft those things in, in the digital world as well. You can, you can do that, but you can also get creative and you have to get creative and you have to sit down with your commercial teams and say, what do you do when you hit roadblocks? What do you do when you hit bottlenecks? Um, how do we change the approach? How do we throw things out there that are just very unique uh, and try throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, right? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that that has to happen. So it can't be one note of, you know, I'm just going to have these messages that go out with my technical literature and try to get people interested in my technical literature, right? Sometimes you've got to invite them to um, different user groups or invite them to other conversations, um, you know, that are somewhat unrelated, but always be bringing them back in, right? A lot of it's just awareness. Uh, and a lot of sellers will tell you that um, some of the most successful sales that they've had took years and years to close because, uh, the person they were working with was just in the wrong position at the time. And when they changed positions, all of a sudden, now they were really interested and able to, to you know, have the purchasing authority they were looking for. So sometimes it's about waiting it out. And, and in the meantime, you know, uh, just building some kind of dialogue and rapport with them, keeping them interested in your company while you're going through that. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of this is just trying different things, trying different methods. Um, we have to have this marriage of what do our outside sellers do and do well with what do we want to do through automation and, and then approach different parts of the market. Now for our company specifically, we are going to go after a little bit more of the tail with our automation. Um, and that allows us to make more mistakes, frankly. Um, if we have some customers that say, well, we, re we didn't really, your reson your, your message did not resonate with us. And so um, maybe we're going to go to a different company. Well, if we lose, that one client, um, but we have thousands more that we can approach, that's a lot easier than that outside seller who might be going after 50 accounts. And if they lose one account, they're pretty upset about it because their uh, exposure can't be as, as great. So, um, so we have the ability to make some of the mistakes in the tail of the market, um, but we always have to be trying new things. We always have to be listening to the sellers and talking to our outside sellers and then blending these messages together and seeing what works for them. So it's, um, I don't think that you want to separate them, at least, at least from a distribution company like us. I don't think that you want to say what we're going to do on the digital side is completely separate from what we do on outside sales. We want to marry these things together. We want to marry these strategies together and recognize that we're a sales company. We're, we're really good at the human to human interaction. Hopefully we can improve and, and even, you know, take some of the digital side and give it back to the, to the human side too. Right. I mean, can we, as we talked about getting into more contacts and getting uh, more penetration into accounts with different kinds of personas, uh, we may be able to teach the sellers that there's some different approaches they can take as well. Oh, I got blocked by the initial contact that I tried to make, but here's another route that I can get in and work with a company and find and build interest. So hopefully all these things will play out um, over time and will help both sides of the business.
Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Well, let's kind of uh, put our um, I got look into the, I guess, uh, try to look into the future just a little bit here as you're kind of because you're really at the front end of the revolution that you're trying to create at uh, at Revago. And um, and I know that you've kind of framed this before as it's almost in some ways shaped up as a, a bit of an internal startup as a way of kind of driving this kind of innovation. Can you give us a bit of a just kind of a snapshot of what you think the next uh, several months holds and, 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 and where we're driving to. And hopefully we can just kind of reconnect and uh, in a few months and see to what extent that's true. Yeah, I'll do my best to. This is us holding your feet to the fire, Andy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey, you're not the first one. And um, you know, it, it's funny because we're, we're going into what, what's going to be a very agile project for us. And um, our organization um, is not fully agile yet, um, primarily because for, for many years, we have not thought of our company as being a software company. Uh, and that's starting to change. And so along with that, people are starting to understand what are the differences between waterfall and agile approach, approaches and different ways that you can iterate on software. And, and just the idea of building software akin to building a machine. Right. If we talk about um, bringing in a, a plastics compounder, which is a machine that we use to make to make compounded resins, people can understand that whole process and concept of I'm going to bring this machine and I'm going to build the machine out, you know, and then there's going to be a point where I can actually run resin through the machine and make something. Now, that may not be the final state. I might add other mixers and other components and other instruments to measure the output over time. But I've got this finite uh, idea in my mind of this is day one, right? This is what day one looks like. I can actually run something through the machine and, and get an output and get a sellable product. When we talk about sale, uh, software development uh, for our company, you know, it's, it's been, there's, there's been more of a mindset traditionally of, well, I just go buy that software, I install it, and then I run it. And that's not really what we're into nowadays. Um, there's a lot more configuration work, uh, implementation work, development in, in the tools to build out your processes and your, and your, your automations that you're looking for. And that takes time. And then there's a, there's a continuous development approach. So for all the uh, agile geeks out there, I'm, I'm sure I will murder, you know, the, the agile approach for them and they'll all be calling me and saying, Hey, there's a better way to do it. And, and I agree just so everybody knows, but the point that I'm making is that we're learning um, how to develop in a software environment, just like we're, you know, just like we're learning a lot about what we want to do from a digital marketing strategy standpoint. So for us, the journey over the next couple months, um, we, we've we've tried to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, we want to start selling product in, in three to four months, knowing that's an aggressive goal, knowing that we may not hit it. Um, but I've always believed in having a little bit of a goal uh, of, of in almost building some tension around. Um, we know we want to hit something. We, we know that might be tough. But if we don't hit it, that's okay too. We just need to keep our keep the ball rolling. We need to keep the momentum going and know that we've got a goal in sight. Um, so, so the way that we've basically approached this, being a very entrepreneurial company, is we said, look, we have some back end systems that we want to use in our in our ERP tooling. 
Um, we don't have anything on the front end from a storefront yet. Um, so let's go, let's go buy those tools. Let's go develop them out the way that we need. And then let's plug everything together. But for everything on the front end, let's treat it like a greenfield operation. Um, let's, let's purchase new software. Um, let's bring in new partners to help us set it up. Um, let's hire a few new people for specialties that we don't have today for that kind of software and for those kind of processes. Um, and let's see if we can move fast because there's, um, there's an opportunity cost as well, right? The quicker that we can get set up and sell into a market, into a, into the tail of a market that we don't sell to today, the better we can generate revenue pretty quickly. And, um, and we can, we can learn and adapt the, the systems as we go. Once we have those tools set up, we can also start using those in existing businesses. Um, so there's there's many different approaches that we're taking, but we've kind of set a three-year strategy for what we want to do. Andy, I'd be curious, um, at this stage, have, um, have uh, we talked about people holding your feet to the fire? Has anybody suggested uh, how much uh, time to positive ROI uh, you have or... Uh, kind of have you put a line in the sand there and say, uh, look, we need to do that within year one or by year three. Uh, just kind of curious where your uh, thoughts are at this stage. So we've got about a three-year strategy that we've laid out. Um, there will be a lot of changes within those three years, but ideally we'll get some, some of our platforms stood up uh, pretty quickly, um, have the ability to sell product in the early stages, um, build out our automations, build out a lot of our backend processes and get into the tail of that market, you know, to get some of those small orders started where we can't really get to today. Uh, and then over time, take those tools and leverage those for, you know, medium and larger customers as well and into some of our traditional businesses. So um, being that we're, a, you know, a very entrepreneurial company, um, it's a it's a greenfield in a way that we can get going fast, um, but we've put a good vision together on bringing these things all together, uh, making sure that we don't make too many mistakes in terms of integrations and uh, the long term vision, because we, we still want to work in one ecosystem for our company long term. We don't want to miss that that element, um, but we do want to go fast. And, and that's a key part of why we said, let's just treat this as a startup inside of our company in a way so that we can move quickly. And, and I think that's, um, it, it's fun and it's engaging. Um, and I think it's what you're seeing a lot of other companies do, you know, the more I read, you, you hear a lot about this. Uh, let's, let's try these things. Let's, let's get AI in the hands of uh, more users. Let's get more software in the hands of, of smaller groups and users so that they can go quickly too and just kind of try things because in the world we live in today, you, you need to innovate quickly. You need to innovate in small groups and then have these prototypes um, and then be able to scale up from there. So it's no different than for, for, for what we're doing here. And I, and I think it'll kind of set a benchmark for some of our other strategies going forward. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's just uh, helpful guidance to other marketers listening, trying that, that maybe staring down the barrel of, uh, in, in some ways, a similar initiative. And it's, some, it's, a, it's a question we get a lot. It's just like people, you know, what should I be thinking? What should I be, what expectations ought I be setting? And um, I, I do find it interesting, too, that, for instance, for, for, for most marketers, they're, they're somewhat like you, actually. They're their own worst enemy. They're, they're the ones that will uh, uh, move that positive ROI uh, timeline up in the calendar. Uh, and they tend to be more aggressive, but uh, maybe that's just marketers. We tend to be optimistic a lot anyway, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm probably my own worst enemy on this because I'm the one holding my feet to the fire and saying that I want to have a positive ROI in uh, 18 months or less. Um, you know, and, and the clock's already ticking on that. That was kind of from the point that we spent the first dollar. Um, we actually built up a full P and L for three years. 
um, and looked at what we could do within that business. So, you know, it, it helped us get guidelines together around how we want to budget for software, how we want to budget for our, our developmental costs. Um, and this is, you know, where, where you have this uh, waterfall versus agile and, and kind of the natural tensions that you build in, you know, it's, it, it's not like we're going to say, okay, build the whole thing and then go. We're going to we're going to build in an agile methodology. But if you don't have that budgetary concern or that budgetary mindset uh, that you have within the PNL, you can get out of control very quickly. And one of the principles that I do try to follow on agile is that you have a capacity. You, you need to work within a capacity, just like you're running a machine, and that's very important to us. So, um, so yeah. So we're shooting for eighteen months. Um, you know, I, I hope that we hit it. I hope I actually hope we hit it faster than that. Um, but we've got guidelines that that really help us make a lot of decisions around can we expose uh, ourselves or overexpose ourselves in some areas related to, to software? Because you can go spend, you know, all day long, you can spend money on new software and get really excited about what you have. But um, if you can't utilize it right away, it may be better off to wait a little bit longer before you implement that. Well, and I think we don't often understand as marketers exactly what it takes to integrate all of these disparate pieces of software and make them talk to each other. And sometimes that's the hardest part. You know, yes, you can have a great e-com platform, you can have a great ERP, you can have a great marketing automation and CRM. But how do you ensure that those things all work together and uh, are working for you so that everyone in the business fully understands exactly where every customer is in that process as well? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff, because um, we, we've thought about that a tremendous amount. And one of the things that we're working really hard to do inside of our company is knock down some of the barriers of us versus them when it comes to commercial versus IT. Um, you know, there's you have people that grow up in the systems world, in the software world, and they and they know what it takes to do integrations, what it takes to set up software. Um, but they also know that you can just sort of start some of the some of the sales processes or things like that very quickly because you can fail fast and you can adapt and you can make changes based on your mistakes. On the commercial side of it, you know, you have people that oftentimes think it's very easy to do integrations and it shouldn't take much work. They don't know that when your when your data quality is not very high, it 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 really takes a big effort to clean that up and get those things going. And then the more systems you try to button together, the, the, the longer it's going to take. We have we have a lot of warehouses in our network, for instance. And if we try to bring every single net, every single warehouse into the platform, we'll spend three years just working on that project. So we're going to approach it a little differently. Um, but we're we're working really hard to knock these barriers down and get people to see eye to eye and say, look, this is a this is an approach of commercial and IT working hand in hand. I mean, it's you know, ideally, if we can get people that have mixed backgrounds, that's even better for us because they've seen both of those worlds and they get it and they say, okay, well, let's just, let's just prioritize the work as we go. Let's get to our, you know, MVP state or, or what we like to call MMP, our minimal, minimum, minimum marketable product. Cause we think that's a little bit more key. Um, and let's then add features that make sense again, based on the data, the feedback and the data that we're getting, what, what our customers are asking us for. Um, what our sellers are telling us you should try, let's add those features um, and then let's build it as we go. Um, but if we if we try to integrate everything from day one, oof, that's a, that's now a three to five year project that we've not sold anything in that time. So we're very, we're trying to be very careful about that. You know, I think if folks listening in uh, take uh, anything away from this conversation, it might be uh, that that would be uh, that would be a good foundational element, really. Um, is that you know just uh, as a marketer, um, 
I think we uh, you ought to be you ought to be striving to be the marketer that understands the level of complexity associated with uh, that type of work, so that you can make wise decisions like you just made. That said, look, we're not going to go down the barrel of this three-year integration project to bring all of these uh, uh, different warehouses online. We need to do this a different way. Um, I mean, you just saved. You know, I guess a, a, a marketer without that background, without that kind of grounding. Um, would maybe start down the path of 18 months of a very tiresome uh, work that ends up having to be redone. So it's just, um, I think that that was just a really great advice, frankly. That, that's the hook, Carmen, right? That's how you keep people to listen to the whole episode. Yeah, you got to tell them from the beginning, stick around and there's a great message for you. <laughs> well, I, I, for one, am really excited to kind of see where where you go with this. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to reconnecting in, uh, you know, ahead of 18 months. Maybe we'll talk again in uh, four or five and see where you are and uh, maybe record another one after, uh, after it's been live for a while. But thanks very much for joining us today, Andy. It's been fantastic. Yeah, thank you guys both as well, and uh, hope everybody's safe out there with uh, with everything going on. But uh, this is a good time to be in software. That's all I can say. Exactly right. Uh, look, yeah, stay safe and uh, great be chat- great to be chatting with you today. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners dot com slash the cooler ring.